Hey, y'all, before we get started, if you are enjoying this podcast, if you've listened to several episodes and have learned anything, if you'll do me a favor, take a screenshot and share this with someone who is a newbie in your life, who's interested in NFTs, but might feel overwhelmed. We want to get this education into the hands as many or the ears as many people as we can. So if you'll do me a favor and share this with one person in your life who you know would enjoy this content and have some fun learning about NFTs, we definitely appreciate it. Let's get into the show. My name is Chris Doe. I'm a loud introvert. I'm a middle child. I'm a recovering graphic designer. I'm an educator. Uh, and I used to make commercials and music videos for a living. In 2014, a friend of mine, Jose Caballé, invited me to create content on YouTube. I'm 42 years old at this time, and I say, hell no. But he doesn't take no for an answer. So we start making content, and doing so changes the course of my life and my company forever. Look, are you interested in investing or collecting NFTs but are overwhelmed with all the information? Heather and I, were true, true NFT newbies. We're going to break it down as we're learning, as we wander unafraid into the world of digital art. Listen, y'all, we're going to cure you of your FOMO, mildly educate you and give our unqualified opinions and hopefully have a lot of laughs along the way. We are here, NFTs for newbies. I'm back here at the future with Chris Doe, but this time I'm with Heather because we want to talk about NFTs. We want to talk a little bit about Web3 because we had a discussion about it and there are some weird transparencies, I, I think, that happened uh, that I want to talk about. But Chris, number one, thanks for having us back. Of course. Thanks for pleasure. having us here. Yes, yes. Let me start with this. Have you made any progress in the Web3 NFT world of your own that's going to help you maybe make decisions down the road? Yes, I have. I'm diving deeper. I feel less of a newbie, okay? And uh, I'm also looking at what's life after an NFT because I don't want to be short-sighted. I like to do these deep dives, and at some point, it'll be time to fish or cut bait. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm much more informed than when we were speaking last. Yeah, uh, it was great. I loved having those conversations because I was like, maybe I'm not that much of a newbie after all. <laughs> but what I wanted to talk about was uh, I was a guest on your show, and I loved that. I I have to thank you. That was like one of my best shows that I've ever been on. And the funny thing was, there was a couple tweets on your Twitter and on mine about kind of like almost like this disappointment, like, Chris, what are you doing? Yeah. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And I was kind of surprised. And as we've done some more interviews, we've found out that's kind of a trend. And then when we were just with Tom Bilyeu, he says gamers specifically, like that's like a civil war. Like they don't even want to touch NFTs. Was that a surprise for you? And how did that make you rethink things, if at all? It did not surprise me at all. You work with artists and you think artists are open-minded, they're curious people, and they want to live outside their comfort zone. But then my community is artists, and that's not always the case. I think there's always this perception of if you do something and you go make money, first of all, you're a sellout. This has existed for a really long time. And you know, you love an indie band and they get big and all of a sudden they're a sellout. Because don't artists get to make money and live comfortably too? Apparently that's not the case. So when you enter into this very complicated thing called NFTs, there's a lot of information out there about the environmental harm that it's created, how it, the, the blockchain has used more electricity than all electric cars put together combined. But that's the short view. I think the long view is the stuff is getting faster, better, cheaper to do. And I talked to futurists and technologists, and they tell me what the roadmap looks like in five years, and it's ridiculously crazy good. So I, I think it's like any, in any issue, anything that's hot and exciting, you're going to have two sides to it. I expect it, and they come out. You ha probably haven't read the YouTube comments yet on our episode yet, have you? Uh -oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
you do need to check that out. Like you're all curious about it. Like, let me, let me check it out. Right. So what happens is we, uh, what Greg does is uh, he's my co-host on the podcast. He cut down like a minute long thing and he put it on our YouTube channel as a short. And of course people are like, I followed you. I love you. I'm done with you from that one episode. (laughs) So, Rich, if nothing else, you've cost me one subscriber. You're if welcome. Not more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they there's more. In it. They're there's more. In it. There's a lot there. And I think, you know, here's my thing too. If me putting out content for eight years since 2014 isn't enough for me to show you my true colors, that I'm in it for the long game, then you weren't really a fan, anyways. And here's the thing people say this to me all the time like, I'm done watching you. That's it for a number of different reasons. I'm thinking, I teach you how to make money so you can improve your life. Who are you really punishing by saying, I'm done watching you? I don't hard sell you anything. I'm not pitching you anything. This isn't a giant marketing funnel as some people might think it is. I'm here to genuinely help people. If you don't want to be helped, totally cool with me. You're not really hurting me. It's okay. One quick thing on that. Okay. It's funny. I had a friend who has a service dog and they didn't let the service dog on his flight on American Airlines or whatever. It's like he tweeted about it. I retweeted. I was like, I'm never flying with American Airlines again until... I tried to get a flight to wherever and Delta was like $1,000 and American Airlines was $390. Like at some point, the content is still going to resonate. Like even if it's just one thing, like that quick dismissal I've learned the hard way is is not always exactly what it seems to be. So you probably didn't lose that person. It was just an emotional reaction. But I just think it's from people not knowing exactly what's, what the future looks like. Yeah. And that's where, that's where we come in. Tell feel better for not making you lose that subscriber. <laughs> <laughs> that's all what it is. <laughs> but to his point, like... That's been surprising to me is how many creatives have told us, like we, we've had people who have like huge followings and they're they're doing great work and they're like, I'm scared to transition my business into NFTs or something like that because of the backlash. You're an educator, you're a teacher. And recently someone told us as a NFT creator, we also have to be educators because we're educating our audiences on what NFTs are, the blockchain, being transparent with how we're our new business model, et cetera. But a lot of us aren't teachers or educators and that's a skill set. So since you've been doing it for years, do you have any maybe bullet points of like, what does it take to properly educate someone? And what have you learned over the past few years that maybe we could integrate into our own businesses? This is just the broader education question. Education. Okay, I love that. Thank you. The first thing is uh, I, I try not to educate anybody that doesn't want to be. And so you have to come willing, open, and ready to to learn. It, it's like if you want to learn something, no one can stop you. And if you don't want to learn, no one can teach you. And this is really, really important. We'll talk about this. Whenever I run a workshop, and I know I'm going to say things that are counterintuitive for people, the first thing I say is you can't fill a glass that's already full. And there, there are people who are much smarter than me, neuroscientists, who talk about learning Part of learning is forgetting. You have to forget to learn. If you read uh, Benedict Carey's book, How to Learn, The Surprising Thing About How We Learn, he talks about it, and there's a good amount that he writes on, like, we have to forget. Memory is, like, one of these things that's really tricky. The more you think about something, the more you alter it from what really happened. Do you mean forget what you think you know or forget things that don't have any pertinence to, to where you're trying to go? For example, if you wanted to learn about how to do logo design, everything that you already know about logo design, you have to forget temporarily to make room for new ideas. You have to be open. And so it's one of those things. And here's the other thing, too. The, the word educate, the root word is educe. And educe doesn't mean to put in. It means to draw out. So a lot of people think being a great teacher, being a great educator is me transferring information over to you. And we know from having sat in lecture halls before, we didn't retain anything. 
So it's not so much about how much I transmit, it's about what you receive. The best way I know how to educate someone is to ask them questions, get them to think. And so my job as an educator is to frame the question. So if you ask them the right question, they'll think about it, and you lead them gently along a path of short, easy-to-answer logical questions in which they will arrive at their own conclusion. You used to talk about that in sales all the time, too, though. Exactly the same thing. Literally, literally, sales, to me, is education. That's all it is. So at the time of this recording, you have 1.91 million subs on YouTube. Yep. Clearly, you're slacking because you're not at two yet. I know. <laughs> I had a call with my I team today, I, so you know, I'm like, I think last time I was here, actually, you, I think that was your goal is to double it in a certain amount of time, and you guys are crushing it. And then on on uh, Insta, I think you're at seven ninety seven hundred ninety thousand or something. Yes. There is this misperception that we have kind of seen in the NFT world where people in Web two, which is you know all the social media uh, platforms that we know that a large majority of those people are actually going to convert if you have your project. But the logic doesn't necessarily make sense because Web3 is completely different. If Chris has a project, you're going to be like, okay, cool, Twitter's where you're going to be, I'm going to open a Discord, and you're like, well, and then I'm like, what? No, 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 I like having you on YouTube. What do you say uh, to people who are maybe resisting some of the newer platforms or emerging technologies that are involved in kind of the Web3 evolution? I think everything has its natural tipping point. And it seems like those of the people that are in the know, especially on NFT, the metaverse, Web3, you're at the tip of the spear. And it's going to take a while for people to catch up. It's just that way. There's the early adopters, the late adopters, and then the middle majority or something like that. It takes a while. And so there are buzzwords being thrown around, which then causes people to be very skeptical in the first place. Anytime there's this much hype in such a short period of time, you should be skeptical and you should do your homework. We're hearing about people uh, who've uh, been on that bad end of an investment, quote unquote investment, you know, and people are dumping, getting, uh, what is it called, rugged, rug rug pulled, you know, so those kinds of things are happening. And I I think you have to be careful. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, there's some swamp land I want to sell you in Florida. (laughs) Were you skeptical at all? Were you resistant at all? 100% skeptical. Yeah, but I think being a critical thinker means you have to be skeptical to to be critical of your own thoughts. So the first thing that you should do is if you want to do something, you try to disprove that idea first, right? So if you have a theory about gravity, you should try to disprove your theory first. And if you can't, you're getting closer so to the truth. So this is how we prevent ourselves from falling in love with the first thought that we have. So how did you disprove it to yourself? You keep poking at it. And then you hear the pros and cons. And then you talk to more people and there are people that are smarter. And then you hear arguments from both sides and you, you try to do your best to keep going down that rabbit hole. At some point, you do have to say enough rabbit hole digging. It's time for me to reemerge, assess what I've read, assess what I've learned from people, and then make your own decision. Our previous interview, we had a distinction for me. I, I didn't really look at it like this, but Web2 is more audience-based. And for if you're listening, Web2 is more of where people could create content, people can engage with the content, where Web1 was more of kind of static information you sought out and, and, and found. Web3 is now this, this just crazy new world. But Web2 was more audience-based. Like you've created a ton of content and people will tell you that content was very good and it was very helpful and Chris, you changed my life or now I'm making tons in sales or now I'm not afraid to negotiate or now whatever. So that's audience. The distinction is now it's a community where you actually, they are actually going to take part or try and take part in something you're trying to do. So if we were being hypothetical here and you wanted to do some sort of a school for the gifted, that is how I like to say it, they would have to be more involved instead of you just delivering. Uh, have you thought about that distinction where people consume your content, but now they're actually going to be part of potentially how it's going to be shaped? 
Well, if you've been teaching in the real world, this is kind of how classrooms work. So I don't think of it so much as a radical departure from the way we work. It's just maybe a return to the way that's natural. For example, I come to class. I have a lesson plan. And as soon as I start talking, the lesson plan changes because I see how people react to it. They respond, and then I give them prompts or homework to do. And they always come back not doing what you think they're going to do. They do something totally different, sometimes to, to your delight and sometimes to your dismay. Oh, my God, did you really read the brief? This is what you came back with. And then I start to see where they get stuck. And then the lesson changes. And so there's a push and pull. That's how I've taught for 15 years. I'm just trying to figure out how to use technology to have that bi-directional conversation so it's not um, like monodirectional or unidirectional. Um, that way, everybody influences the content. And I think that's what the promise of DAOs yeah. now. Yeah. You know, honestly, I learned a okay. term. I just drop it in there. Just leave it in there. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to ask you about the first time before the show, before... Um, I really dove into your content. I ran across one of your YouTube videos. And I'm not going to lie to you, it made me very uncomfortable because you were pushing sales and how to, which I struggle with as a creative, you know, I make all the excuses in the world of, well, that's just not my gift is whatever. I just want to make stuff, you know? Um, And so when you were talking, I'm like, damn, he's right. He's so freaking right. And We've gotten so many emails from listeners who are they they've they haven't built successful businesses outside of Web three. Yeah, NFTs is kind of their entry point of like, oh, maybe I could put this on the blockchain mm-hmm. and sell it. What skill sets are still going to need to be preserved even in blockchain technology as far as sales go with creatives? Because I think there's this misconception we're going to mint it and they're going to come, and it hurts my feelings to think that may not be true. It's probably not true. It's probably not true. Because what we're talking about isn't that we're reinventing commerce. We're just up finding new layers of technology to give more power to artists. So the same issues still live. For example, ideas about self-worth, how to price it. Do you price it based on the market or on demand? How long was your financial runway? What, what kind of latitude do you have personally? It's just you need to pay the rent, buy diapers, and put food on the table. Your mindset's going to be very different. The interesting thing is it's given a lot of uh, underexposed artists an opportunity and a platform to make money really fast. But as you know, um, some some first time people who come into money uh, like hip hop stars they'll make money and then they'll be broke by the end of their career or before and this happens all the time because they have incredible talent but they're not their financial IQ is very low. For artists who maybe get some traction, we've been kind of pushing the conversation a little bit that you're not an NFT project. You are actually a business owner. Um, if people have not, like Heather was saying, not necessarily succeeded as a designer or as a logo artist or as a podcaster, and maybe they're getting a little bit of traction in Web3. And maybe it's not an NFT. Maybe it's just like smart contract technology. What would you say to them in terms of like, you really have to look at this from the lens of you are a brand and a business that is needs to optimize to deliver. Because I think those quick wins... It's like, cool, I, I think I'm good now. Like, that's not how it works. Like, so what would you say in terms of business acumen and how, what to enhance or focus on? Well, if you make enough money on your initial release, money that should last your lifetime, you could be terrible at business at that point, right? You really could. <laughs> I, I've heard of people selling their, they're not even creators. They're just trading uh, an NFT and they're able to make a million plus dollars, right? And if you can come into a large sum of money really quickly 
what you do as as an entrepreneur is you use that money to make money. That's yes. how rich people get rich. Yes. They're not actually working for the money anymore. Their money works for them. So you can be a venture capitalist and and invest money into different companies that you think are going to do really well. That puts you in that position. You can you can invest in the market. There's a lot of things you can do, or you can take a little bit of it and fund another initiative or create a project, and you can do that. So you could do that. But if you want to keep in the game, now we're talking about something totally different. You have to learn about sales and marketing, customer service, audience retention. You have to know how to communicate to them. There's a lot of things that you need to do that you're probably not prepared to do because you just wanted to be an artist and make money. So there's going to be a couple of decisions that you can make. One is you can hire a manager to help you run this because you can use that money now to hire people to do all the parts that you don't love to do. Be careful because there are a lot of snakes out there. There are people who are going to overpromise things to you. And if you're not smart with your money, that money will vaporize. There are too many stories in Hollywood. Uh, Mike Tyson, for example, should be the, one of the richest guys out there because he was one of the highest paid athletes in his time. But because there were so many people with hands in his pocket and he thought his earning potential was unlimited, he didn't pay attention. And then he hit hard times like so many people do. Same story. So be careful. So I, what I would do is I would look into a lot of stories about athletes, uh, artists, artists meaning like uh, singers, songwriters, rappers, that, where they had a fortune and then they lost it all. Sure. Learn from those. One comment I wanted to make to the audience: You can also go to thefuture.com and check out some of the courses. Like I have to, I have to shill it because I've learned so much from those things. So uh, my business has been enhanced very much. Uh, so I think that's definitely a good leg up uh, if you're looking for some kind of formal business content, especially yeah. in sales and negotiation. Well, and then you also too address a lot about kind of the flip side to what you were just saying almost this guilt shame about making money as yeah. an artist and a creative. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of my own insecurities were coming from is like just this whole year, like I don't need to make money. I'm here to serve. You know what I mean? And overcoming that BS story in my own head was so freaking hard. And you talk to so many people about, I'm sure making money and not, they want to make money, but they really don't want to, they don't want to put themselves out there. Bullet point. I know go to your YouTube channel, check it all out. Yeah. But High level, how do you advise people who maybe resist even putting a dollar sign on their work? It's tough. There's a famous story here. I feel a famous story coming on. I, I, I hate to speak outside the room, so to speak, but I did a, a YouTube episode with Beeple when he was in town. This is pre, you know, $69.3 million Beeple. Wow. And we're arguing. We're arguing about value and work. And I said, man, you're an artist. And he goes, I'm not an artist. I just make crap. I'm like, oh, man. So we begin this whole conversation. I'm going to just tell you the story. Maybe we can talk later if it can be included or not. Okay. okay. So this is just Mike Winkleman hanging out, kind of nerdy CG guy doing his thing, right, with his nerdy friends who follow him and building up a nice following. And he was telling me about doing a deal with Louis Vuitton, licensing, I think, 13 images. So he had to rework them to make them really high resolution. It included video art with it. Uh, unlimited royalty-free in perpetuity in the world forever. And we started talking about like how much he got for each image. And the number I said was more for one image than what he got paid for all the images. And I said, why are you doing this? And he said, you know, man, it's LV, man. It's like, that's, that's worth something to me. I'm like, okay, but it's worth a lot to them too. You do need to understand like what they would pay a pattern designer. Because if they just wanted to license a pattern, you would get royalties and for every piece sold. And I said, if they sell, what, seven handbags, that was your entire fee. 
seven handbags. And they don't make seven handbags. They make thousands of bags. <laughs> and that's what you're talking about. And so his images appeared in all kinds of goods and on clothes, on bags, everything. And so that was the debate. He's like, I'm not an artist, man. This is not how it works. Fast forward a year and a half later. Now you won't call me back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gratitude <laughs> to this guy. Now I wish we had that recorded. Because I'm like, and he was like dug in, dug into the sand, drawn lines and everything, and saying to me, insisting, I'm not an artist, this isn't how this works, and I'm just happy to be here. If you made NFTs, you actually don't have to quote unquote like sell me, right? There's there's or a course or anything like that. I don't need necessarily the marketing. If I know you're doxxed, which I know you have a a presence online, your reputation's on the line, right? So like if you don't deliver, if you don't go all out to deliver, I know that I could trust you. I can I could do it. So you don't actually have to market. Now, the best part of this whole thing is if I buy one of your NFTs and then Heather finds value in it and I put it for sale on OpenSea, then you get the royalties and there's still no selling from you involved. Is there any part of you that sees a kind of deterioration in the skills that artists should actually be learning? Because it could just, some artists just catch without actually having to sell. Does that make sense what I'm saying? I understand the premise. What's the question? Is there a concern about where artists' actual business skills can go because they're not actually going to be involved in like a sales process. There might not be a discovery call needed ever. Hey, if that's the way the world works, I love that too. <laughs> right? We, we have to learn skills in sale, sales because we need to interact and transact with people. But for whatever reason, if you're some kind of savant and people just love your thing and you just keep minting all day long and there's a line of people out there to buy your stuff, maybe you don't ever have to really learn those skills. And I do love that sometimes technology can be a great equalizer. I'm not one to argue for a way of doing things because that's the way it's been done. So if technology replaces some of this, then who cares anymore? So I'm, I'm, I'm having a conversation with this woman who's like a futurist on the cutting edge of technology. She, she's really connected to some brilliant, brilliant people. And I think I know what I'm talking about. I walk in the room and like, I know nothing now. I just know nothing. What she was telling me about is that currently with Web2, the social platforms own all your content. It's yes. the license you right. sign on to say you own it. Right. When we move into this Web3 and the platforms are gone because quantum computing can then now trace and track and have provenance over every image, every tweet, every video clip that's out there. And then a mass takedown happens because of all this superpowered computer stuff, right? So anybody that retweets or uses your content without your permission, because now the blockchain can, can authorize and, and uh, authenticate every person's work, all that will disappear. So she's like, content creators who are creating content today will be in a terribly advantageous position moving into this new space. She tells me it's going to happen within five years. I said, five years? She goes, sooner, but I'm just saying five years so your head doesn't melt. So she's like, you make a tweet. Someone retweets that tweet. You get some money that comes to you. And everybody that retweets that, the money just keeps flowing. And that's how it works. And so the game is going to change. And and she was telling me about all the hangups that people have about blockchain today they'll be gone. For instance, uh, you don't have to create um, a MetaMask wallet. It's just connected to your Apple wallet. Yes. And it'll be sent. It's just as simple and as transparent as anything else is today. And it's fractions of pennies to mint. And then now you can mint everything that you have. And she's like, it's already happening because there's platforms you can do for a fraction, like a, a couple of pennies to mint the things that you make. So she's just doing that as a matter of principle now, minting everything. So this might change the paradigm so that artists don't have to do this anymore. You can make an incredible painting that touches and stirs people's soul and it gets shared wildly. And then we can get back to doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is making art. 
Until that day happens, though, let's learn the skills. Hey, newbies, our friend Sean has made an online course called NFTs Simplified. So consider it an extension of the things that we've tried to help you do. Now, this course is going to cover a few things, and we want to tell you about it because it is very affordable and it is very worthwhile. So obviously, we're going to cover what an NFT is, how to transfer Ether crypto into your wallet, how to buy an NFT, NFT security basics, all so that you can do the things you want. Some of you want to make money. Some of you want to invest money. Some of you want to make sure your NFTs and your monies are safe. And that's exactly uh, why we're pairing up with Sean for this. So there will be five video lessons and there's also plenty of course handouts and notes. Uh, I'm looking at some of the reviews right now. Here's one from Halim saying the course is great. I love the graphics and wish I had time to watch all this before I tried to do it myself. So there's additional reviews just like that, that made us confident to partner with him and to offer this course to you for 19 bucks. Okay. That's about three Starbucks grande drinks. Okay. So think about it, 19 bucks to keep your NFTs safe, to get you some of that extended knowledge that you want and to just have a course from someone who is driven to help you. So we'll link it in the show notes. See you next time. What is one thing that you've mastered over the past several years that you're so grateful you're bringing with you into Web3? That is a really complicated question. For me to be able to answer, I need to know what the hell Web3 is. <laughs> <laughs> to know what I've mastered and then to connect those two things. Can you ask it in a simpler way? <laughs> what have you mastered over the past several years running your business that as you look at NFTs, blockchain technology, any kind of shifts and adjustments that you need to make, you're like, thank God I have mastered. I've spent time learning X because it's going to be important here. I would not use the word mastered. I would use the word, I'm ahead of the game. Better than most, not as good as some. But I've been, I, I think I've figured out how to make content at scale that connects with people on different platforms. I have a couple of platforms left to figure out, but I'm, I'm making headway on all those platforms, right? The other thing that I think I've been able to do is learn how to connect with people in authentic ways that they feel an emotional connection to the things that we do and they care about us in ways that other brands haven't been able to do. So those two things, community building and content creation. Yeah, like the whole thing is community building. Like that, that is, is kind of the movement. Can I tell you a couple of things? Yeah. All right. Because there have been whispers of us thinking about doing an NFT thing. When I say whisper, I tweeted it. Yeah. And now we're talking about on the yeah. podcast, right? Yeah. All that kind of stuff. So people are now reaching out to my sales team to say, if we join this, do we get the first right of refusal to buy an NFT? And I'm like, there is no project yet. Do you know I've not put any kind of real concrete thing out there? So there's some excitement. People are then DMing me and saying, I need to be on the wait list. You cannot cut me out of this. I will be mad at you if I if you do this to me. And so it's nuts. So and I think that's a testament to us showing up yes. every single day for the last freaking eight years. What a signal. So anyone who has not listened to the future podcast where I was on and you kind of alluded to a potential project, right. uh, this is a completely different audience. So hopefully you don't mind sharing kind of what you have in mind. And actually, I guess before we do that, we never really said, Chris does this, uh, but can you give a, a, sure. a, a 60 second version of, of what you've accomplished over the last however many years? Okay. Mastered. 
Well, I, I will answer that way the way that I normally say this when I'm introducing myself to a new audience, okay? My name is Chris Doe. I'm a loud introvert. I'm a middle child. I'm a recovering graphic designer. I'm an educator. Uh, and I used to make commercials and music videos for a living. In 2014, a friend of mine, Jose Caballé, invited me to create content on YouTube. I'm 42 years old at this time, and I say, hell no. But he doesn't take no for an answer. So we start making content, and doing so changes the course of my life and my company forever. So can you share a little bit about the conceptual project or what you've been imagining a little bit in terms of what it could be if you do it? I'm still working through it. I'm thinking for me right now, it's going to happen in a couple different stages. The first one is just to get through the process of minting and understanding what the market wants and what it can do. So I've got a couple ideas on just, uh, I think they're called what, PFPs? Yep. Uh, that stands for what, profile? You are not something? a newbie. Profile, profile picture, yeah. Profile picture, it's like yeah. a... a, a Yes, a yeah, picture. that people can use. And so it'll be like a really cool piece of art. Maybe I, I do like five of the same and I do some variations, but not a ton, just to put out there to say, okay, I've been through the process. I understand it before we go with something big. I don't want to just jump out of the gate and say, here's the biggest thing ever and to be learning at that kind of scale. But really what I want to do, especially as COVID restrictions are lifting, seems like the world's returning back to normal-ish. And if we can get through this next period, then it seems like what I want to do is to be able to establish physical brick and mortar spaces and places for people to come. The, the dream, the pitch is this. If you had a rich uncle who was a super nerd into comics, movies, video games, all that kind of stuff, and skateboards, and they had money to build a space that when you walked in, you felt the vibe and an energy, and you were invited there as part of an exclusive community to create content, to hang out and to learn, to have masterclass workshops there with some of the most brilliant minds in the world. That's what I want to do. So I'm going to raise money to do that and put an NFT as a token to be able to access that. That's the idea. And then everybody else gets a benefit from a couple of people ponying up the money because that's what we want to do. We want to take this stuff and be able to spread it throughout the world. And if all goes well, we'll have a location on every continent because that's the idea. I will go on record and I've texted you this. I'm like, I will support yeah. like a jillion percent uh, because I believe it. I, I do. It's kind of, uh, I don't mean to be comical about it, but I do think of like X-Men and School of the Gifted. Like I imagine like a cool place where people are learning and getting deep, getting guidance and they could walk away. And I have no idea how this project will pan out or how you're going to approach it. But the fact that I might be like, wow, I've kind of graduated from what I wanted. I can now transfer that to anyone who's interested in it. And I could post about it on social media. Like it's completely changed my life. And maybe the value of that NFT goes up. And then someone is like, cool, I saved up enough money. I did my murals. I did whatever I did. And now I'm able to buy that NFT. And now I could be part of it. And I mean, it's a win for you because there's royalties involved, but that could all be funneled right back into the business because that's how you roll. But I think it's a fantastic idea. When I was talking to this person about NFTs, the future, uh, quantum computing, she said, you can use NFTs for charity. And so if I put into the smart contract, a certain percentage goes to a charity or a scholarship, then you know, okay, you know what? Not only are you making an investment, but every, every transaction that happens after, it's going to contribute money to this thing. I, I really like that idea of something that's generative like that. We have an artist who, who followed us on Instagram, and I was like, oh, 75,000 followers. I'm like, let me check out her content. She's a muralist. Incredible. Like, incredible. I'm like, Wow. Her NFTs are actually animated, and they're not similar, actually. Uh, but she's put one out a day, and she sells one every day. And every day, the price gets just a little bit more. Yeah, We didn't know this, uh, but I bought one uh, the day after we interviewed her. I'm like, oh, I'm scooping it up. And I love it, by the way. And she goes, 
awesome. I'll have to fill you guys in on how you can sponsor an artist. So the NFT actually sponsors someone for her artist academy that she has where she does something kind of similar to you. Mm-hmm. Helps artists learn business things. I was like, we're, we're sponsoring an artist now? Like, yeah. the feeling of supporting her was great. But now it's even better. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? So that was such a win. And, and I think, yeah, you're absolutely onto something. Like, whether it's a charity or scholarship or whatever, like, it's a huge win. Yeah, it's like for good corporations, like Tom's, one for one. So you buy something because it has it gives you joy in owning a piece of art. You get to support the artist. There's potential long-term value for you in case the that work uh, appreciates in value. But then you're also supporting some charitable foundation that you should be aware of. And you're like, hey, I like that. It makes me feel good. It's a win for everybody. I wanted to ask about community building. We mentioned this is like crash course in business one-on-one getting into NFT projects, but also too, people are like, oh, you need a community. That's a skill set, right? So anything high level Who's you can share. Who's watching you, by the way? Is that... Uh, I'm just odd. I'm an odd person. <laughs> but who are you thinking about when you do that voice? Yeah, like Queen true. Dexter or somebody? It's, yeah. No, it's it's Patrick down the road. He has... That's who I've been. Patrick and Janet. All right, sorry. Anyways, I, I, sorry. Janet sorry, sorry. Yeah. yeah. I like it though. <laughs> well, community building is a stinking skill set and... Um, I would just love any wisdom that you have for building a community. Um, you know, Web2, we, again, back to the audience points, like we can throw stuff out there, but human connection online is a different thing. Mm-hmm. And um, how, would you, how would you teach that? How would you okay. advise newbies into that? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things you need. You need a, a why story or a purpose story. A why story? Yeah, like why are you doing what you're doing? Or your purpose story, like why do I exist? And people want to join movements. They want to be part of something bigger themselves. If you look at the four pillars of happiness, according to people who study the science of happiness, pillar number one is perceived control, perceived progress, uh, power greater than you, and, and belonging. So if you can tap into belonging, this is, by the way, if you think of all organized religions, they tap into these four things, and that's why people dedicate so much of themselves, right? So what is, is, what is your why story? What is, what is your purpose? So that they can say, like, I'm into that. I want to be a part of that. So you need to come up with something that's short, that's easy to remember, and something that you live every single day, something that is not just on the wall, but something that governs your decision-making and the actions that you take. Our mission is really, really straightforward, is to teach a billion people how to make a living doing what they love. And once we figured out that phrase, and when that phrase gets repeated back to us during interviews, I know we've done a good job. Because it means that it resonates with them, and then they can say it, and they're curious. So uh, I, I think your purpose statement, your why statement should have some element of curiosity. Like, tell me more. Why a billion? What does it mean to teach a billion people how to make a living doing what they love? Why does that important to you. And then that allows me to be in a whole conversation, explain more. And so we've even come up with a hashtag for it, the one B minus one project. People are claiming their number. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that was an idea. Gamification. Exactly. Okay. So there was a person who suggested to me on Twitter, he's, and I forget his name right now. He's like, how do we know you've reached a billion, Chris? Because it feels like it's a much bigger number. I'm like, I don't know. Okay, we'll start counting now. <laughs> and so people started getting into it, right? And so here's the weird thing. So, so Ben is testing it. So Ben owns numbers one through five or something like that. Ben, you can't own the first five. You need to give number one to the guy who suggested it. So we need to retroactively make that work so he can have number one. So here's the, the, the thing that I throw at, you, at people. If you want to test how strong your community is, ask yourself this question. How much do you pay to acquire a customer? Cost per acquisition, what is it? What, what do companies pay? Some people pay $30. Some people pay $100 depending on Here's the thing. People pay us. 
to be part of our email list. They're joining us. They're becoming sustaining members. They're just saying, I don't need anything. I don't want anything. Here's $5 a month. Here's $15 a month, whatever they want to contribute. That's a strength for community. So you need to have this statement, your purpose statement, your why statement, simple, repeatable, easy to understand. The next thing you need to do is you need to think like an educator. You have to out-teach the competition. This is an idea from Rework, Jason Fried, David Heinmeier Hansen. They wrote this book called Rework, Out-Teach the Competition. So what you want to do is you want to develop a curriculum that you can take them through long-term. And if you can do that, they show up every single day. Let's take it back to church. I was raised Catholic. I was raised Catholic. You know what they do. Every Sunday you come in, they read a passage. There's a story. There's some interpretation. There's a lot of ceremony before, during, and after. And people will just come. I don't know how long it takes for them to go through the whole Bible. Maybe it's a year and a half. I don't know. But that sounds like a curriculum to me. A layer onto that is how you've, you said, maybe you just said you didn't master, but you're a better than most on the content creation side. What would you advise on content creation? So maybe you have that, maybe you have that idea, that mission and your ethos, your core values, but like maybe the content's not popping like Christo content, right? Um, and, and you're like, Twitter's kind of where it's at, but I know I could probably grow on Instagram and then there's LinkedIn. It's so, so professional. Yeah. Like, what would you advise uh, someone, maybe even an artist who, who's looking to kind of make sure they have a splash on social? Yeah, first thing you need to do is just pick one platform. Sure. Don't try to do all things on all platforms. Pick one platform, create content like a native. Understand what they want. Understand how it needs to be formatted. Don't try to do this thing where you push one piece of content through four different funnels. It's not going to work for now. And you do need to pay attention. I would say also high quality writing beats high quality production. Forget about the cameras and the mics and all that stuff. Just think about good writing. It begins there, right? And you have to learn how to write for the internet age. It's a little bit different than you writing long-form narrative. You have to write in these short, bite-sized pieces that are like little mind bombs that explode in people's heads. Little mind bombs. Right? I love that. So you, you have to like create these hooks. And if you can get somebody hooked in. Now, I was watching an ad from Outlier, which is like from the former co-founders of Masterclass. And they're talking to some English writing professor. And he starts off with this line, right? He says, I thought I'd be in the room when my wife got pregnant. He's like, who could stop reading there? You see what I'm saying? Because it challenges a lot of ideas. There's like, so it's probably talking about in vitro fertilization or something, but it's so compelling. I need to know the second line. He rattles off a bunch of different lines that, you know, what, what else happens? And then what else? And, and he was just giving us a bunch of like lead lines for how you begin a story. And so you have to think like that. So you're somewhere between um, like someone who writes for a magazine and someone who writes advertising copy. Strong headlines, hooks, and you have to learn a lot from how Netflix brings you in. Every moment is like a, um, like a cliffhanger. They don't want you to stop watching for some reason. They want you to watch the next one. So you get into this binge cycle and you can't walk away. So you have to keep thinking about that. So one thing I would advise people is design your content. If it's video, every three or four seconds, you're giving a person another reason not to stop watching. It's really simple. I'll give you a little example right now, okay? Like you would pose a question and you'd give a little bit of an answer and you'd pose a new question or you keep flipping left and right, left and right, like what is going on? And before they know it, the thing is done. <laughs> so when I go and teach content creation to people, I, I just tell them there's two things you have to pay attention to. You have to pay attention to engagement. What will provoke people to stop what they're doing, yes. to look at your thing, to, to interact with it? Because we know that comments count more than likes. It counts more than everything else, right? So get people to comment, get people to engage. It's healthy for the algorithm. Everything that you can do to provoke them to do something. It's so the best way I know how to do that. Ask your audience 
a question. Just ask them a question. And then when they reply and they ask you a question, don't give them an answer. Give them another question. Keep engaging with them. Now you're going to use the Socratic process, asking lots of questions, right? And you're educing the answer out of them. You're not trying to educate them. And then this is good for them. It's good for their self-confidence, for their self-esteem. It's great for the algorithm. Number two, you have to look at retention. Retention is just percentage of completion. And you would think, oh, what is the highest possible retention you can get? You would say 100%. We know that 100% is the maximum. So you're going for that. If you get 100% retention, you're doing really, really good. But you can actually get more than 100% retention. You can get 200% retention. Rewatching. How do you do that? You have to start thinking about your content in replayability. If you're doing shorts and reels and TikToks, think about that. I saw Dr. Julie. She's on TikTok. I forget her last name. She's British. She's a, a therapist. And she did this thing. She's like, do you know there's this thing called the Thatcher effect? And she shows you portraits of famous people like Obama, somebody else and somebody else. And you just keep seeing them. Like, they look a little funny. And she goes, at the end of the video, the Thatcher effect is we transpose the face on the mouth. Now, I want you to watch this video again and flip your phone upside down. <laughs> and when you flip the phone Dang. upside down and it plays again, they're monsters. They look totally different. It is scary. So right side up, we read and we forgive a lot of the eyes and the mouth. But when we're disoriented and the person's upside down, we don't recognize the face. So now we can really focus on how weird it looks. It's called the Thatcher effect. What a wonderful way to get you to watch it twice. And then you know what? It wasn't twice. I watched it three times because I thought she tricked me. I thought this was a weird loop where she, she pretended like it was over. And then they did something funny. But no, it was the same thing. So she got 300% view from me. I know we're out of time, but I have to follow up with one thing. Mm -hmm. I think there's this, uh, this battle inside of me where we just want to make more content. You know what I mean? Like we want to like repurpose everything. We want a hundred pieces of content out there yeah. and de-rock and everything. And then also too, like that takes time and intention and effort. And so I've been torn back and forth with like, okay, create fewer really well-crafted pieces of content versus like document versus creating. Okay, let me add on to that. I'm, I'm with on. you. I'm with you. But we have made massive amounts of content together. And at this, at some point, yes, uh, with, with newbies. So we have the YouTube channel, we have the podcast and all kinds of things in between. What she's alluding to and something I've definitely brought up is like, we're in free content creation mode. Uh, you know, there is a, a big, big time investment. There is a lot of investment into the YouTube editor and all these other things. And we're cranking out content, cranking out content. But every so often we're like, should we just go to like one video a week instead of four and just like make it like content. make it like the best possible written scripted video we can or what? Like or stop crying and just don't sleep and, and, and the reason they got I, all good. The reason I wanted to elaborate is because I believe in the beginning it's quantity over quality and, and, and then you know, so you could kind of figure out what's good and what's not, what's popping, but what are your thoughts on that? And yeah, like the quantity thing's killing us. <laughs> I'm gonna first because in, in keeping with the whole NFT for newbies, I wanna talk about content creation for newbies, okay? So if you are waiting to make a piece of content, I have a a plan for you on how to create 100 pieces of content. Let's call it the 100-day challenge, that you're gonna commit to creating a piece of content every single day. It could be a tweet, it could be a long-form, short-form post, a video, anything you want, commit to that. The first 30 days, all I want you to do is do the things that give you joy things that you're passionate about. I want you to try to make as many crappy, intentionally pieces of content as you can. 
because you should not be locked into anything. So if you want to do a video where you're upside down, if you want to do one where you're dancing and pointing, you want to do one where you're in your bathtub, on the toilet, uh, reading a book, waking up, hair done, the hair not done, uh, switching hats or whatever you do, just make 30 pieces of crappy content and stay out of the results 100%. Do not look at likes, comments, shares, none of that. It'll be very difficult for you to do. And if you do look at it, don't even care. This is not about you trying to grow, not about you trying to optimize. Just get out of your system after the 30 days. So content 31 to 60, I want you to make an educated guess at the five pieces of content that you posted previously that gave you the most fulfillment, the most joy that you think might attract an audience. Now that you got out of your system, you're going to look at that, right? So the first part is just like, you know, on those cooking shows, it's just you running to the pantry and getting every single item that you can. You don't need to be selective at this point. But moving forward, you look at those ingredients, see what goes together, what doesn't, what fits, what doesn't work for you and your schedule. This was easy, that was hard, but it was worth it, whatever it is. Now, take five educated guesses and make content based on those five hypotheses. And these tend to be like around different content buckets. So this could be like motivational, this could be training, this could be a drawing, stop motion animation, do those five things and then run it again for 60 days. I mean, from, 30, from day 30 to 60, then you're gonna stop. Now it's time to pick one or two things and focus on that. Now you have a hypothesis. You've tested some things, you know what's kind of working. Now it's time to look at the data. So post 61 to 100, your final 40 pieces of content for the 100-day challenge. Make something, look at the results, make adjustments. Not big adjustments, make small adjustments. Each post? Each post, mm-hmm. make one, see what happens, adjust. Read the comments, let, let it influence where you're going to go. You can start to think about optimizing somewhere towards the end, but don't do it until you're in the final phase. This is really important that you do this because so many people, they make one thing, Either the audience hates it or loves it, and it sends them in the wrong direction. Either way. I had an argument. I had a debate with my wife. <laughs> Good save. I had a debate with my wife in the car, right? She goes, honey, you love making content because the world rewards you for it. You do this, you get hired to speak, and people buy your book, and they're showering you with praise. They send you chocolates. They send you... I'm like, this is not why I do it. People this are traveling the... from North Carolina to come see you and interview you? <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> and I said, this is not important to me at all. And she said, you're a liar. Of course, it's important to you. Of course it is. I said, no, watch this, okay? If I'm an artist, what is being an artist? I love what Lana Wachowski's explanation of what art is. Art is an invitation to look at the world from a different point of view. So I have to have a point of view. I have a perspective. And I want to share my perspective with you. So if I make something that's not true to my perspective and I'm rewarded for it, do I want that? Probably not. This is why a lot of well-known A-level Hollywood actors are poo-pooing these tentpole comic book pictures because they're like, this is not art. I know this is ruling the box office, but we want to make serious work, dramas, comedies, whatever they want to make. They don't want to put spandex on and do these things, right? So for them, they draw the line. And we know a lot of artists that are like that. I would rather make music and obscurity than to sell out and shill out uh, generic pop songs because that is what pays. It's soulless work. So I said between these two things, whether I want to make money doing something that sucks or making something that's true to my artistic being and not being rewarded for it, I'll choose true to my artistic being. Now the happy spot, of course, is where you can be true as an artist and find an audience and build a community around that. So if they show up and you're rewarded for it, that is the sweet spot, obviously. 
It starts with you articulating your ideas and just being an artist in that sense. There's too many people in your life and in your world trying to tell you what to do, what to eat, what not to eat, uh, how to dress, how not to dress. This is your chance to share your unique point of view with the world. And when we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, once your base level is met, the top is self-actualization, the realization of your true potential. And if you're in a place, roof overhead, rent is paid, you have enough. And enough can be a lot less than you think. You have enough. I think it's time for you to explore the artist inside of you. Come on. <laughs> a little bit of church today. That was good. Bring us home, man. Uh, okay. This is like... Fantastic episode for our artists, our aspiring artists in our community. Uh, we just want to say thank you to Chris for being on NFTs for Newbies. Um, I do really, really want to strongly encourage you to start looking at his content. It's not a mistake, clearly, as you just listened to how he has been able to amass to 1.9 million subscribers on YouTube. I got YouTube Premium just so I could start downloading recently. And it's like, okay, well, downloading that one. Instagram, I'm saving your post as well. So um, this is going to probably merge a couple of paths for you. And that is the business side of art and then art. Uh, so thank you for all that, Chris. Thank you for having us here and taking all the time to articulate your ideas and for taking Heather to school and to church. I need to school. I'm good. I'm comfortable with that. I'm fine with We will support the School of the Gifted. So there you go. I have the haircut for it, so you know, I'm already halfway there. With my gout coming on, I'll be in a wheelchair soon enough. So thank you so much for having us. My pleasure.